into our Twitter space. This is uh, Latinx Leaders in the Yimby Movement with Abram Diaz of NPH, otherwise known as the Policy Director for the Nonprofit Housing Association of California. I'm Alex Melendrez. I'm the National Chapter Manager of Yimby Action. And one of the chapters I am a lead for is our new identity chapter, Yimby Latinx. I'll be your host today. This will be a conversation that will live in our Infill podcast. If you're listening into our podcast, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and if you're not already a member of Yimby Action, you could join us at yimbyaction.org slash join. And as I mentioned, I am joined by Abram Diaz. I'm very excited to have you. You've been on my uh, interview list for a while, and I can't think of a better time with some recent California housing bills having some success, but I will let you do your own intro. So please go ahead. <laughs> of course. Thanks, Alex. Thank you so much for having me on here to just chat about some of the issues I care the most about affordable housing, housing in general, and Latinos in the California political space. So for everyone, my name is Abram Diaz. I'm the policy director at the Nonprofit Housing Association of Northern California. I've been the policy director there since late 2021. At the same time, I've been a board member of Housing California, uh, and also previously spent five years in the state legislature, both in the state Senate and the state assembly, working on a lot of tough issues, but especially housing and homelessness. So it's been an issue I've cared very, very deeply about for a very long time. And I'm very happy to be here to talk about it with you, uh, especially the Latino lens. California, of course, being a Latino majority state, uh, I care very, very deeply about the future of the state, the future of the Latino community. And as we know, housing impacts everybody, but especially the Latino community. We have such a big role to play in that space. So uh, Alex, happy to follow your lead and go through some of these topics. Great. Uh, this is going to be more of a flowing conversation. I did see one more part of your bio. I just want to uh, <laughs> bring up, it's not particularly, well, it is housing, actually. Uh, it says, you said you were a board member for the Street Soccer Sacramento? Yes, that's relatively new, so I wasn't sure whether to bring it up, but uh, we should actually, because there's a lot of different ways to support the housing and homeless solutions movement. So Street Soccer Sacramento uh, is a board I'm very proud to be a part of. It is essentially a uh, sort of futsal soccer forward nonprofit that supports sporting opportunities for low-income folks, homeless folks, and low-income youth. And I'll just mention, we just had an enormous success for folks. You might have seen me talking about this. And we hosted the Homeless World Cup last week in Sacramento State. And it was a fantastic event. In short, essentially, we invited about 36 different countries with men's, co-ed, and women's teams to come to Sacramento to play in this Homeless World Cup. And the players all had to have been, within the last two years, homeless according to their country's definition of homeless. And so with a lot of sponsorship, a lot of corporate sponsorship and government sponsorship, we were able to bring these folks in, bring them into training programs, bring them overseas in ways they might have never dreamed they would have ever done before, and just give them a chance to participate in a fairly high-profile international tournament, and also give folks in Sacramento a chance to come to watch some really fun soccer, but also meet folks who were previously homeless, but are now taking this new opportunity to you know, experience something different and experience you know, life at its fullest. And I'll mention I was talking to a friend who I invited who doesn't work in the political space. Space. And as I was sort of talking to him about the Chilean soccer team, he mentioned to me, he's like, well, you know, those guys, they don't look homeless. You know, they got their Nike kits, they look pretty sharp. And I was like, well, that's kind of the point is, you know, if you take someone out of this environment and you support them and you help prop them up and you give them a chance, they're just human beings like the rest of us. They just need an opportunity. And so the event was extremely successful. I'm very proud of it. And you can go ahead and look it up either like on my Twitter or just online. It's fantastic. And it's done so much for so many people over the last couple of decades. 
and I was just so happy to be part of it here in Sacramento. Oh, that's great. You can't see me, but I'm like, uh, I'm grinning a big cheesy grin. It's really important to have these intersections, kind of having a feeling of touching grass of like why we do the housing work. I'm doing a walking tour uh, myself tomorrow from our chapter that really involves conservation as well. I think these intersections are really important, not just for housing, but for our uh, Latino community. So Really happy to hear uh, the work you're doing. I did see the success <laughs> in the pictures, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to being part of that board for hopefully a very long time. Okay, so before we dive in into an update of some of California's top housing bills, I want to hear from you. <laughs> what is your personal housing story? How did you get here? Why are you uh, a, a Yimby? Give me, give me some of your background. Absolutely. I think we all have like our individual story of what causes us to care so deeply uh, about this topic. But for me, I'm a first generation immigrant American citizen. My parents came to the US from Mexico and it was always a dream of theirs. And, you know, when I went through college and just professional life, uh, you know, more broadly understood how much of a dream it is to own a home in the US, but especially in California for immigrants uh, in our state. And our state, you know, purports itself to be this home of immigrants, this refuge for folks all across the globe to come to California and live the California dream. And folks were lucky enough to do that. And as I'm growing up and we're going through college, I'm recognizing that opportunity, that idea is under extreme threat. And the idea that we might be able to do better than our parents, as many immigrant parents dream of for their children, is threatened. The idea that we might be able to own a home is threatened in itself. For everyday Californians, much less folks who are also low income and very vulnerable or have, you know, various diverse immigrant backgrounds. So to me, growing up, um, it just seems so fundamentally wrong that this state and this country that promises so much to anyone who's willing to work hard and make it is falling short. And I tie a very direct tie from poverty to housing in that we're not going to address and fix poverty in California or the country or the cost of living or income inequality if we cannot address that fundamental housing issue, which is at the core of everyone's being. And so that's really what drove me to this. I just seen what I felt was a, a direction that was very worrying for the state. I was like, where can I be most effective? If we can address the housing crisis, we can address the poverty crisis. And so I decided to dedicate myself in my professional capacity and personal capacity with all these boards that I'm on to addressing that issue. And lastly, I'll just say from a Latino perspective, I grew up painting homes with my dad who you know painted homes and he came to the US and, and worked as a manual laborer and seeing that side of the construction industry that is so Latino dependent and we have so many folks who work in the space but it can't you know afford the homes that they work on I and mean, we'll never have the chance to you know buy or rent some of these big complexes that they're working in and so a state that's majority Latino a state that employs so many Latinos in so many fields but can't seem to bridge that racial divide of need. It's just a state that's falling short. And so in that sense, uh, I really feel we can do a whole lot more. And I've dedicated myself to this. And, you know, it's, it's an origin story I'm very proud of and one that really kicks me in a gear every day to try and do a lot more. I can relate to a lot of that. And you did uh, somewhat beat me to my next question. Uh, well, first off, I should actually say thank you for sharing a lot of that. Sharing these kind of stories is important for moving the hearts and minds. You know, we talk a lot about like RENA, uh, units. Uh, we get lost in the state housing bill numbers, which I'm sure we will do a little bit later. But there are personal stories and impacts, especially tied to our community, that really underpin that. And it's always important to have folks like yourself to, you know, share that and share your roots. I want to give you a little bit more space to talk about my next question. Why do you think housing is so important for our community, for Latinos? Yeah, it's such a fundamental need 
for, you know, everybody, but for the Latino community, especially, you know, we have such close family values and we really value the, you know, the home as sort of the center base of a family and you have these big family gatherings and having a safe place for yourself, uh, especially for a lot of immigrant communities here. Home is like that place of refuge when, you know, if you have a mixed status, mixed undocumented status or whatever it might be, you know, being outside of home can be very dangerous just wherever you are, even in a state that's a refuge like California. And so having that place, that home, that oh God, is so important. And it just, it frustrates me to no end that we're falling short of that, not being able to provide folks safe, stable homes and communities because they're not able to afford it. And we have folks moving to states like Texas and Nevada and others, which, you know, may have pockets that are very good communities, but also can be very dangerous for folks who have a mixed income status or, you know, just generally living there with climate change and with shifting patterns. You know, California is supposed to be the place of refuge and comfort for a lot of folks. And if we can't provide that, I just think we're falling so vastly short. All that being said, for the Latino community, we value home so much. We value family so much. You know, we came to this country oftentimes to try to establish ourselves and establish a, a line of sort of family continuity and growth and success. But then you just run headlong into this affordable housing and cost of living just disaster. And how can you do that? How can you overcome? How can you set out those roots in this new country that you're living in that your children are going to live in? It's very, very difficult, very hard. And so, you know, you have to fight every single day to try to make housing a little bit easier to build so that other folks, their children and the next generation can afford to live and stay and grow here. Or we're just going to keep losing population and keep losing a lot of the things that make California really special. That's so on point, especially if we look even a little bit deeper and when we have some of our intersections of our community the chapter that I started was called Gimme Latinx for a reason because I wanted to put an emphasis on community members in our, you know, Latino community or Latinx community who have, you know, multiple identities. There are some of these places that may be a bit cheaper in our state, but may not be exactly a safe refuge for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And the same can be said for mm -hmm. refugees as well. I'm not going to get too deep into recent news, but it's it may not always be safe or away from community uh, and everything you said as well. All right. So I think it's time to get into the fun. <laughs> Some recent yeah. news. Tell us briefly, what is uh, Senate Bill 4 and Senate Bill 423? Why are they why are they so important to NPH? Why are they important for affordable housing? Why are they important? <laughs> Absolutely. I love these bills so much. Senate Bill 4, I'll start there, is a bill that is uh, being sponsored by a set of organizations, but I, I consider the Nonprofit Housing Association of Northern California a key sponsor in this. It is a bill that streamlines the production of 100% affordable housing on land owned by faith institutions, churches, synagogues, mosques, and also some of their uh, other branches, and private nonprofit colleges. Think your St. Mary's, your USC's, your Stanford's. So we have these institutions, especially the faith institutions in particular, that are these long-standing community just institutions and, and they're well known and, and folks are familiar and you know often as they'll go to that church or that mosque or that synagogue or whatever it may be for their weekly service but over time we found a lot of these institutions are losing members and so they've bought up all this land or they've had all this land in their you know asset portfolio and they're not going to be able to build a new church or, or have an expansion because just the way sort of society is evolving they just happen to have all this extra land and not enough need for it so we found in the affordable housing world a productive partnership with the church can help us build affordable housing on their property make best use of it you know help us address the homeless crisis the affordable housing crisis and 
at the same time, give the church an asset and sort of a new renewed purpose and help them fulfill their moral calling to help their neighbors in need. And so that's the inspiration behind SB4. And happy to get into the technical details of it, but that's essentially the summary. And we have a lot of environmental protections and labor requirements too, to ensure that we're doing an equitable job of constructing these projects in itself. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that a little bit later. It's a bill I'm very proud of. If it's like the only thing I do, which I don't think it will be, but if it's the only thing I do in the affordable housing world, I think it'll be a very impactful thing. And I'm very grateful to our co-sponsors sponsors from Southern California and the Carpenters, the Jewish Public Affairs Committee and the Inner City Law Center. And of course, the author of 4 and 423, Senator Scott Weiner from San Francisco. <laughs> now, SB 423, I'll also try to summarize a little bit. I know a lot of UMB facing folks are very familiar, but perhaps for other listeners, this bill extends the tool passed in 2017 called SB 35, which streamlines the production of multifamily housing and land already zoned for that kind of housing. The idea being, if you're a government and you said you can build multifamily housing there, let them build there. You do not need to start questioning whether or not it's going to work or you know, put in a whole bunch of requirements on it. You said they could build there, let them build. Streamline that permit, give it to them. We needed that housing built you know, yesterday. And it's been an extremely productive tool. I mean, the Turner Center has reported that over 18,000 units have been proposed under SV35, 13,000 of those built. And those 13,000 built, are quite a majority of them, in fact, almost all of them have been very low or low income housing, the kind of housing that we desperately need in the state. And so again, this also has labor provisions and various protections, but the idea being we have areas of the state where we're already supposed to be building multifamily, hurry up, let's do it. We have areas in the state that us before that would like to build it, but we'll get it in our own way. Let's cut that out, streamline it, get to the production. So that's SB4 and 423 in a nutshell. We're extraordinarily proud of them. I am very confident and very hopeful they're going to make their way to the governor's office. And I really hope that means they'll get signed. And that would be an enormous, enormous step forward for the housing world in California. I mean, I'm really excited by both of these bills as well. I remember going to the SB4 rally earlier this year. It was one of my, <laughs> or sorry, that was last year in December. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was one of my favorite moments or anytime I've gone up to the Capitol and just kind of participated in those days of actions. I've seen you there a few times and it's great to be surrounded by this coalition of faith leaders, carpenters, union leaders, uh, people who really, you know, care about affordable housing, everyday individuals and volunteers. I do want to give a little bit of highlight for SB4. It's not just churches, it's faith institutions as well. I yeah. Uh, I know that uh, we have a different identity chapter at EMB Action called uh, EMB Jewish. And I know a lot of the organizers of that chapter really want to engage their their synagogues in this in this discussion. So it's really this broad faith bill that can really help these institutions really, as you say, kind of act on their faith to be able to house their, you know, neighbors uh, or practitioners. And then SB 423 <laughs> has been, in my eye, has been one of the most successful bills for affordable housing out, out there. I'm going to give a short example. My city of San Bruno hasn't seen an affordable housing development in over 20 years. And we're finally seeing our fir first fully affordable housing development in that time frame, thanks to SB 35. So it's critical that we get this bill through. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about some of the recent Yimby wins. This is super timely because both of these bills have some recent Yimby wins, and I really want to hear about it, 
especially from the Natural Resources Committee. Spill the tea, <laughs> spill the tea. <laughs> yes, ha- happy to talk about it for sure. Well, I think you mentioned something that's very key to this, uh, you know, Yimby win environment that's been fostered by so many people. It's the diversity of the coalitions behind this. And in some ways, it you know was naturally going to become such a diverse coalition because everybody needs housing. But it's also been very strategic and very carefully articulated and created by a lot of important actors like Jay Bradshaw, the leader of the Northern California Carpenters, Assemblymember Buffy Wick, Senator Scott Weiner, NPH, and myself and some of the Yimby folks that we work with. You know, we need a lot of voices at the table to make these housing bills pass. It's difficult. It's it's a it's a hard to pass housing bills. Even though we've passed some major ones, we've also seen some pretty big ones fail or be threatened. We, I mean, many of us might remember SB fifty not going all the way, or you know, the previous version of SB nine stalling on the assembly floor for essentially no reason. So you can never take it for granted. Now, all that being said. SB4 and 423, you know, we have talked about the coalition. You have the unions are in support of the bill. We're talking the California Carpenters. We're talking SCIU, you know. We're talking, those are government workers and janitors and healthcare providers, nurses. Then we're talking about the laborers as well and some of the operating engineers. Then we have the housers. You know, we have our market production folks, the YIMBYs, certain aspects of CBIA, if not the whole institution. We have the affordable housers from SCAMF and MPH and the housing consortium. We have some of the equity organizations like Inner City Law Center or Epic from Michael Tubbs and Poverty in California. And then you have some environmental folks like Greenlining and other groups as well, like Urban Environmentalists. You combine this patchwork of groups, all of a sudden you can have these amazing rallies and these big diverse coalitions. Not to mention with SB4 and 423, these enormous faith groups that we have that support these bills that are a whole new player in this game at least from a Sacramento perspective in many ways. And you're able to address an issue that a legislator might have from a productive production perspective, faith perspective, uh, housing perspective, homelessness perspective. It's like we have folks at the table that are going to move the ball forward. Now, that's the context that gives us the space to get these wins. Let's talk natural resources, a committee that... Yes, uh, let's talk natural resources. (laughs) Anyone who watched that hearing... Um, surely saw how long it was and, you know, how much conversation there was at the dais about the bill live on the day of and the legislators committing to vote for it or stating their worries. And in this, I'm talking about both 423 and 4. And so... We had to work on that. And you can do all you possibly can to grow your coalition, to do all the right narrative, get all the right editorials, do all the right tweets and op-eds and social media posts and amendments. At the end of the day, it comes down to simple math. That committee has uh, 11 members. I need six votes. Those votes could include the chair. They also may not have to include the chair. Just simple majority, I need six votes. And so... SU-423, it passed with votes from Republicans. Three Republicans, three Democrats joined together to move the bill forward. Now, that's what was needed, and I'm very grateful we were able to get those votes. I have a lot of respect for the Democrats on that committee, and obviously if you're on the Natural Resources Committee, you're charged with looking at the environmental aspect of the bill. I happen to be of the opinion that good housing policy is good environmental policy. Gets more cars off the road, you know, reduces emissions, reduces vehicle miles traveled, and 
some folks may like the process of CEQA or some concerns about the Coastal Commission. They might care about those things a little bit more than they care about the idea of just streamlining housing production as a whole. I don't consider those voices lost causes. I just think they need more education and more on-the-ground reality advocacy. And that's where we look to some of your chapters and some of our local providers and builders and grassroots activists. Go talk to those members. Persuade them, push them. I'll tell you, I've heard members tell me they've been seen their names get, you know, I'll say dragged, but mentioned in the Twitter space when they don't take the kind of vote that other folks want. They do notice that. But Twitter is Twitter. You know, we also need to be able to talk to them face to face and with numbers and, you know, with persuasive uh, arguments on our side. So I remain hopeful that there will be a day where those folks who were not able to vote for 423 may still be convinced. And if not, you know, there are term limits. There will be someone else there one day, perhaps. We just got to work through this and keep pushing our case. Now, with Senate Bill 4, that was a tricky one, too, because, again, we had to have you know, sort of live discussions with the chair. And that's all fine and good, as Senator Scott Wiener so very well, well said in his comments. It's a, we're in a democracy. We are always, always open to a discussion about these issues. At the same time, you know, my North Star is the product. We need units built. I can talk all day, every day about process and protection and setbacks of oil wells and, you know, air filters on freeways. That's all important. You know, these technical, technical aspects of these bills make a big difference to the product that folks live in. However, there's no way around it. We need units and we need millions of them. Per the state, per the state's housing and community development department, we need two and a half million units overall, one million of those units low income. And we come to the table with a bill that is supported by all the affordable housers, various homeless groups, various housing groups, labor, faith, church groups. And we say we have a 100% affordable housing streamlining bill. We would like your vote. And yet still there's hesitation. Now, that just worries me because it means we still have so much work to do to make it very obvious for folks that these are common sense bills that we supported 10 out of 10 times. We will have the discussion about the amendments. We will always have a discussion about the protections. Those are you know, discussions that are full of merit and need to be had. But we need to get to yes. And I am incredibly frustrated by any legislator, much as a Democratic legislator, that hesitates to get to yes. And does it help us at the end of the day get to the yes itself? They're so hung up on one aspect of a bill over the enormous productivity of the other 99% of the bill. Now, we got that bill through because we had to do the strategic negotiating, and that's all fine and good. But we really got to be able to get to that yes a lot quicker from folks, especially folks who represent areas like Santa Cruz, San Luis Obispo, and others. People would like to live in your area. People deserve to be able to live there. You know, this would be reasonable. It's not going to blow up your city. It's not going to be crazy. You know, all those fears folks had about SB 35 and SB 9 have not come to fruition. We just simply want to build more units for families, low-income families to live in. And we hope you help us get to yes. And we're going to work every day, you know, all day, all night, all year to help you get there. Sort of to wrap up the point, and, you know, Alex, maybe we should talk a bit about some of the environmental aspects too. At the end of the day, we know the folks who are in support of SB 4 and 423, we're going to see a whole lot of construction going up, a whole lot of ribbon cuttings, a whole lot of, you know, breaking ground press events and whatnot, because we're doing the right thing. We are building homes. And everyone else who's not on that train or bandwagon, they have every right to, you know, hold their position. But we're in the business of building homes, homes that are desperately needed. And I'm always very proud of that and never ashamed to say it. And yeah, I was just so fired up after that committee. And I was so glad we got those bills out.
Oh, that was great. Are you sure you're not an organizer? Are you sure you're a policy director? Because <laughs> that was a very organizer answer. <laughs> yeah. I got to say, uh, let's talk about the environmental aspect, because we do know that uh, housing justice, we believe housing justice and environmental justice are the same thing, can be the same thing. I actually had to contend with this myself yesterday, trying to get the endorsement of the San Mateo County Democratic Party for this bill. We were successful, but similar to the Natural Resources Committee, it was uh, environmental concerns that were mm-hmm. some of the uh, concerns there, and we needed every single vote, and you know we got the minimum to pass it. So let's talk about the environmental side. Uh, why is this a, a good environmental housing bill? What are some of the concerns that may or may not actually be you know, present? Yeah, let's talk about it. So first, I have to say, I have a lot of respect for folks who work at the environmental justice space, right? They've done so much good work to ensure that families and low-income families especially are safe and protected in the places they live in. And where they've been at risk, ensuring that they have legal protections and legal standing and some sort of compensation, they play an enormously important role. And I really value their perspective in this. And that was one thing I try to emphasize over and over my discussions with environmental justice groups is you're an important part of this conversation. And I will never deny meeting with you. I will always talk to you. We may not always fully agree on the exact details of the language that we're discussing, but we can see eye to eye and I have utmost respect for what you do. Where really we have to have this sort of discussion is what do you believe from the environmental side you need out of the housing world to be on the same page as us? Because I I really believe we should be fully aligned on a lot of these aspects. Now, we know with housing, if we're able to build in info areas, build densely, build in a way that's very protective of the environment, you know, not wasting space, not leading to sprawl, building in areas where folks work already to reduce those vehicle mass travel and get more cars off the road, that is so good for the environment. Cars and commutes and travel are devastating for the environment and for climate change. And we are feeling those effects on a daily basis with these extreme heat waves here in California. I'll say personally for myself, I grew up in Tracy, California, which is really a sort of a community that all their workers live, or it's all their uh, folks who live there work in the Bay Area. And I would, with my father, when I painted with him, we would travel over the Altamont, which is this insane stretch of road in Northern California to get to the Bay Area. And you're on a 580 going west like all day. And I remember I would get up at 545 in the morning, drive over, try to get to my job at nine, get out at five from Oakland. And if I got home by 7 p.m., I was ecstatic. I'd done a really good job of getting home on time day. And I did that for about a year. There are people who do that for their entire lifetime, my father included, you know, just putting miles on their body, miles on their car, miles on the road, all those emissions into the environment. If we had only built housing more aggressively in the Bay Area that was affordable, they could have lived on that side of the Altima, lived in the communities that they worked in and taken millions of miles off the road and off the environment if we'd done so. But we just haven't done it. So now we're at this position where we're saying enough is enough. We're going to streamline these bills and we're not going to let process, a CEQA-based process, undercut our ability to frankly make the environment a whole lot better. And I am just not persuaded by arguments that process matters more than product. Process is important. There are protections in the bill, but we need homes. We need them in the right locations and we need a lot of them. And, you know, we're talking amongst friends here, I think. I think the environmentalists, I think they lost the argument. I mean, you see the governor, you see voters, you see the legislators now passing these bills. You know, this bill passed the Natural Resources Committee. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Sure, we took some amendments. We passed a CEQA streamlining bill through the Natural Resources Committee of the California State Assembly. I don't think environmentalists are ever going to get that back on the housing world. Who knows? And, you know, 
know, things will change, things will evolve. But it's like, now that we know that, where do we go from here? And do we want to lose you know, so much of the pot over, you know, these theoretical setbacks around very, you know, suspect areas. Let's talk about that specifically, because I spent a lot of time talking about that on that committee. The idea is not that we want to build housing near oil wells or, you know, any areas that might be of concern. The idea is we should allow space for housers and housing organizations to study, analyze, scientifically analyze and mitigate environmental concerns to make those parcels safe to build on, rather than cut them completely off the map and not allow us to even consider or have the conversation. So that being said, you know, we just want to ensure that we can analyze these projects. Now, we'll agree to disagree, and some setbacks, I think, will make folks feel better about it as a whole. And I know that can be a little bit frustrating to folks who want to maximize the production and units that we have. But I'd rather have that conversation than have, you know, a lengthy discussion over CEQA and these other processes that maybe don't really help us get to the end goal of making the environment better. All that being said, I have a lot of respect for the environmental world. I think, you know, I believe in politics by addition. I'd rather have folks like on my team than make more enemies. But at the end of the day, if we want to build more units, we're going to have to get to that point. And that's what SP4 and 423 do. And I'm very proud of that. So, yeah, I mean, I know that's something we really wanted to talk about here. You know, if I have some advice in that space uh, for, you know, listeners and other folks in the EMU community, we really need to work together and, and add more folks to our coalition and keep growing it. We have you know new unions at our side, new faith communities at our side. Let's keep adding and adding and adding to being proactive and positive in our recruitment and you know just make this movement even bigger and even more undeniable than we already feel it is. And we're going to need that. We're going to need every hand on deck if we want to make these bills really obvious. I'll conclude the thought with one of my goals with Senate Bill 4 that I'm not shy about is I wanted to draft a bill that was so obvious, that was so important, that was so directly targeted at the biggest issues of the day in the housing world, that it would get out of the Senate and Assembly with almost unanimous votes. Now, I'm not sure if I succeeded in that fully, but if I can get out of the assembly floor with anything over 55 votes, I'm going to feel really, really good about what we did here and really, really good about our ability to move streamlining bills forward in ways that won't be so much of a pain for us in the future. And we'll see. You know, We're going to take this bill up sometime in early September is our hope. And I hope we get a lot of votes on this to demonstrate to future iterations of Democratic colleagues and Republican colleagues that you need to vote yes on these bills. Otherwise, you're in the minority. And honestly, you're in the you know, this is about Latinos in housing. And, and I'll note, you know, I don't know, you know, Latinos make up such a large part of the state's population. And, you know, I think they have a very big role to play in all parts of the state. But particularly, I think in politics and housing politics, we want to see a whole lot more participation from the Latino community. I think for a long time growing up, I knew Latinos had a big role to play in discussions around immigration and discussions about education and discussions about, you know, income inequality and, uh, you know, potentially discrimination as well and affordable, equitable access to a lot of different institutions. I think now we're in a space where Latinos are going to continue to diversify in the political areas and arenas that they work in. And so I'm proud to be, you know, Latino in the housing space because there's not many sort of leading figures there. And I'm also proud to be able to work with a lot of different, you know, legislative leaders. Former Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon, he helped us pass AB 2011 last year, and that was very helpful. And this year, he spoke on behalf of SB4 and SB423. And then I'm also very proud that our new speaker, Assemblymember Robert Rivas, also spoke on behalf of 
manifest before in 423, demonstrating that kind of commitment and leadership that is so critical to getting these kinds of vehicles done. And so I would encourage any Latino who wants to address poverty, who wants to address income inequality, who wants to address housing need and security, the rental crisis, tenant issues, we need you in the housing space. We need you in the housing production space, especially, because the only way we're going to really be able to get out of this is if we build more homes. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity in the housing space. You see a lot of folks rise through the ranks. It's an enormous community. And we need you. We need you now more than ever. I mean, if you've been waiting for a time where we're in the midst of the crisis, the time is now. Uh, and there's never been more opportunities through chapters like GMB Latinx, GMB Action, you know, a whole lot of other houses that we work with. They're looking for talent and looking for people who are motivated. And there's no better way to make a difference than getting out on the front lines and really putting, you know, putting ourselves to work, rolling up our sleeves, getting these votes, drafting these ideas, pushing these resolutions in our clubs and democratic clubs and committees and city councils. I think for the Latino community as a whole, you know, we've talked about how home is so fundamental, community is so fundamental, you know, achieving that California or American dream is so fundamental to us. And we can't do it if we don't have access to affordable, safe, stable housing. And so we're in the midst of this sort of national revolution around housing and what it means to create these kind of equitable communities that we all seek to live in, ones that are safe, walkable, fruitful, supportive of our environment. And so there's never been a better time to join the whole movement to join chapters like Yimby Latinx or Yimby Action or organizations like NPH and just, you know, move from the online space to the real world of where we're trying to make a difference, where we're running campaigns and bold legislative ideas, defending projects on the ground that are going to house families. It's it's such an important time. And, you know, if you want to support, if you want to ensure that you're part of the discussion as a whole and moving with us, uh, you know, I just encourage everybody to join us. And I think we can do a lot of good in this space if we're actually able to go ahead and move everything forward. And I just I care so much for the Latino community. I think housing is so fundamental and we need you at the table. That's great. We know that this is a this is a big fight for environmental justice, for racial justice, for housing justice. As a fellow Latino, I want to just like reiterate everything that you just said, because at the end of the day, it's not just about moving the policy forward and having the solutions, but it's how do we make an impact in our communities, uh, especially communities like ours that are the most marginally impacted by, you know, the housing shortage and the need for affordable housing, not just in California, but the entire nation. Do you have any other takeaways that you want to share from your time working at NPH, your experience as a Latino doing the housing work? Yeah, I think sort of thinking here just broadly about this space that we're in, we have this amazing opportunity to take this momentum that we fostered and built and you know sort of try to grow over the last few years and make some of the most fundamental changes to, to California or US law that are needed, frankly, just absolutely needed if we're going to make a difference in the cost of living in the world that we're, you know, hopefully we bit better tomorrow than it was today. So in sort of closing, I just reiterate the call I mentioned a little bit earlier. We need homes and we need to build them fast. We need to build them quickly. We need to build them efficiently and we need them everywhere all over the place. And we are way beyond holding on to outdated ideals and ideas about housing construction and what our communities are supposed to look like. We know what they, we need them to look like in order for us to have a future where everybody can belong and live in. Otherwise, we're going to lose more and more folks to other states. Uh, we're going to lose folks in communities where they've grown up in, where they have history, where they have opportunity and community to back them. So 
I'm incredibly excited and energized by everything that Yimbies and others are doing, even folks who don't identify it as, as such, but still care about the housing world. And, you know, for Latinos in general, you know, my mom's from Zacatecas, my dad's from San Marcos, Jalisco, and I go back every single Christmas to my grandparents' house to reconnect with my family, my extended family there. And if my cousins and their children were ever to want to come to California and live here, I want to make sure that there's a home that they can afford, a home that's safe, a home that's stable, a home that can welcome them to the American dream one day, the California dream. And we got to do a whole lot of hard work now if we want to make that future opportunity available to them. And, you know, it just, it motivates me all the time. I know other folks have their own motivations as well, but we're in this amazing movement, amazing opportunity. And, you know, let's just go get it done. We're doing stuff we've never done before. And you really want to be part of this historic moment. Uh, reminds me very much of my own community. My dad's from Mexico. Uh, we love to call uh, his his section of where he grew up in South San Francisco, mm-hmm. Little Zacatecas. That's the state he's from. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Abram. I love getting your email updates and seeing you in the Capitol with all the labor unions, YIMBYs, faith leaders. And I'm excited to have another future YIMBY win on both of these bills sometime soon yes i'm incredibly excited and i hope we you know get that chance to celebrate with everybody and you know you you celebrate your wins here and you roll up your sleeves and get ready for the next ones the work does not stop here here okay uh a note for all of our listeners yimby uh action our yimby action chapter yimby latinx which focuses on uh we're a chapter that focuses on housing issues in our community highlighting the ongoing work uh, of latinx housing champions, organizers, volunteers, just like Abram. Uh, We are holding our first event tomorrow in San Francisco. Uh, If you are listening to this on the podcast at a later date, uh, I'm sure there will be posts and pictures about it. Please take a look. It's part of a larger national week called Latino Conservation Week. If you are already a member of Yimby Action, you could check out the uh, hashtag Yimby Latinx channel in our Slack. Uh, you can also check out our Twitter, Instagram, uh, and now Threads handle at Yimby Latinx, which appeared in the space earlier. Well, uh, you can also find it on social media later. We're looking forward to growing more in the future, highlighting other Latino and Latinx leaders in this space. If you're not already a member of Yimby Action, we fight for abundant, affordable, sustainable, and equitable communities for people across the U.S., and our members are essential for doing the work. So please go to uh, yimbyaction.org slash join. That's it, y'all. Thanks for listening.